Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. You know, I think it's entirely appropriate that um, every now and then you and I just wake up uh, fighting mad at the devil. I, I really do. I feel like one of the things that the, <clears throat> excuse me, Western evangelical church, especially in America, has lost is its willingness to go into combat against the enemy. And that's really sad. And let me tell you why. Um, <laughs> the reality is that you and I don't have a choice whether or not we're going to take part in spiritual warfare. We we only have a choice as to whether we're going to be proactive in spiritual warfare or passive in spiritual warfare. But the one thing we don't have is the option of not being involved in spiritual warfare. And the reason why is because there's a war declared on you. There's a war declared on all of those that are in Christ Jesus. There is a an actual strategy, blueprint, battle plan of hell coming against the church, the people of God. And that's just not some vague kind of up in the air um, you know, theory, it's an actual on the ground battle. And we in the church, we've substituted, um, our commitment to waging war in the spirit. We've substituted that with, you know, let's just have perpetual Bible studies. Let's have never ending prayer meetings. And by the way, Bible study and prayer is part of the warfare, but I'm talking about in the absence of of recognizing you're in the midst of the war. Your Bible study is all about information instead of waging war. Your prayer life is all about, you know, just worshiping God. And if it's not engaged in the concept of warfare, then you're missing a large part of why we are called to pray. And I, I've just given up on this idea that I'm going to be passive in spiritual warfare. And one of the things that I think that awakens me personally to the need to to wage war in the spirit is is the reality that I am 100% convinced that I can't do the Christian life. I can't beat the devil. I can't win for the glory of Jesus in my life apart from partnering with God actively. In other words, guys, you may not like the way this sounds, but I'm going to declare it without apology. I am no match for the devil on my own. It's ridiculous. He'll incinerate me on my own. And, and you need to make sure you understand I'm saying on my own. And so in other words, all of my seminary education, all of my ministry experience, all of the knowledge that I've gained over, you know, 20, almost 30 years of walking with Jesus, none of that matters if I am not actively engaged behind the captain of the battle, the Lord of hosts, Jesus Christ. And it's not something that I can just be passive about. And I, I'm going to be bold. You can't either. You cannot afford to be passive in spiritual warfare. And if you say, well, I don't know if I am or I'm not. Well, if you don't know you're active in warring against the devil, then I'm just going to be bold and hopefully helpful. You're not. If you're having to wonder if you're passive or proactive in spiritual warfare, I'm just going to tell you, you're being passive because those that are proactive and proactive means you are preparing ahead of time and those that are doing so, they know it. 
they recognize the cost when they don't do it. And so the scriptures give us a lot of juice. They give us a lot of fuel. They give us a lot of equipping for this issue of battling hell. And some of you may not be aware that, listen, you actually have to fight this fight. Your pastors or leaders, they can't fight this for you. If you're young, your parents or your grandparents or your spiritual covering can't fight this for you. Husbands, your wives cannot fight this for you. They can they can fight for your family, but to the degree that men and husbands are not engaged in warfare on behalf of their family, that family is going to be weakened. Same thing with the wives. Your husband is not enough covering. The devil, All the devil needs is one open door in a family to get through it. And so when, when we're thinking through these issues, we're informed by the Word of God in how to live a proactive offense against the enemy. We're actually empowered by the truth of God's words, as, or God's actual word, the words in the word. We're empowered by God's truth as um, we adopt the perspective of heaven on the victory that God's already granted us through the blood of Jesus, through the word of God, and through the active gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so today, I just want to, I want to talk a little bit on Mavericks and Misfits um, about this issue of spiritual warfare. I'm not sure I have anything new to add, but I do believe that some of you that are listening are new to the topic of spiritual warfare. Many of you were reared in a Christian setting that majored primarily on three things. Um, and those three things would be a quiet time. It just means a little time in the word every day. Um, a prayer time. That means you take a little bit of time to actually pray to God. And then the third thing would be church attendance. And literally, and, and all this, by the way, those three things are awesome. They are important, but they're not sufficient. It's not sufficient for you to read a little bit in the word for 15 to 30 minutes every day. It's not sufficient for you to have a quaint little nice prayer list that you go through, you know, for maybe 20 minutes a day. And it's not enough for you to just go to church on Sundays. And if you're extra radical Wednesdays, it's just not enough. But we were, and I think the intentions were good. The intentions were, Hey, these three things are very important. So they need to be a part of your life. But the way it was taught to me was, hey, if you can master these three things, you're in the clear. You're going to be sailing. You're going to be soaring. You're going to be a vibrant, titanic, um, powerful, spiritual being. You're going to be super Christian if you'll just have a quiet time and then pray a little bit and go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. And I look back at those early years of my Christian life and, you know, it was all I knew. So I just did all those things with my whole heart. And I kept getting my backside handed to me by the devil. I was like, why, why am I not winning? Why am I still struggling? Why, why am I going in and out of, you know, sadness and melancholy and fear? You know, why am I struggling with temptation? Why, why am I not kind? <laughs> I mean, God, after all, I go to church three times a week. Because we were super radical. We did Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Then you throw in Tuesday visitation. Woo! Man, we were off the charts, church attenders. And Lord, I'm, I'm waking up at you know 5 a.m. and I'm in the Word and I'm praying. But Lord, why why am I not winning? Why, why does it feel like the devil's winning sometimes? 
Well, there were a lot of things I didn't know. I was faithful to what I knew, but I didn't know what, what, that what I knew was incomplete. So I want to be the guy, or one of them anyway, uh, the voice that speaks into your life and says, hey, you, you actually need to think a little bit more intensely about the warfare coming against you. Because Jesus is very plain. The thief, he's talking about the devil. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said that. Not some radical, charismatic preacher. Jesus said, your enemy, the devil, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he does. And that's not some vague, ethereal kind of notion. It is an actual strategy of Satan. So let me make it personal. As you're listening to Mavericks and Misfits today, I'm telling you, the individual listener, the devil has strategized to steal from you. He wants to rob you. It's not a, a, a slipping in under night and leaving. It's a mugging. He wants to beat you down and take what God has given you. And then he wants to kill you. I mean that literally. The devil wants to kill you. He wants to pummel you, pulverize you, punish you, torture you, and kill you. He will do whatever he can to do it. He'll use circumstances. He'll use other people who use illness. He wants to kill you. He wants to snuff your life out, especially if you're saved because your life keeps bringing glory to God, or at least it has the potential to. So he wants to kill you. And then, of course, Jesus said he doesn't only want to steal from you and kill you. He wants to destroy you. Now, in the grand sense of this, um, in this salvific sense, salvation, um, you can't be destroyed when you're in Christ. You are saved. You're secured by the blood of Jesus. The grace of God keeps you if you're truly saved. But he wants to destroy your life. In other words, he wants to waste your life. He wants to take anything and everything that has been built up from your life up to this point, and he wants to destroy it. He wants you to finish poorly. He wants to bring you down in disgrace. He wants to bring you down in defeat. If he can't snuff out your soul, he at least wants to destroy your testimony. Now, I want you to think about that. Do you think you can win that battle by reading in the Word 15 minutes a day, praying a little bit? And showing up to a church service, an average status quo church service in America on Sundays, you think you can beat the strategy of hell against you with that? I hope you're wise enough to honestly say, no, actually, I don't think that's enough. But that does not mean that we cannot win. And that's the good news. The good news is through Jesus Christ, the provision for victory is already yours. And the devil knows that better than the church does. The enemy is way more convinced of the victory that the Christian has in Jesus than the church herself is convinced of that. Um, remember what John wrote in his little epistle, the letter of 1 John? It's in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, you're from God, little children, and you have overcome them. You've overcome the, the strategies of hell the agents of hell, the demons of hell, the devil himself. You're from God, little children. You've overcome them because, here's the reason why you've overcome, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Yeah, that's right. The key to our victory is the one that lives within us. And we're talking about 
God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit. And we are, because we have the Holy Spirit, we are inhabited by the victor, by the winner, by the triumphant one, by the overcomer, by he who came to destroy the works of the devil. Do you remember that Jesus said that? Jesus said that we, um, that he came to destroy the works of the devil. And, you know, a lot of people just forget that. And so I'm, I'm just convinced that the one who lives inside of me is still participating in the earthly purpose of Jesus Christ when he was here, which was to destroy the works of the devil. So if the devil's coming against me, I don't have to run and hide because Jesus says, no, I'm in you and I'm greater than the one that's in the world. And because I'm in you, I want you to remember that through you, I will destroy the works of the devil. And so we enter into this issue, okay, oh, there's a war then because the battle is, the devil hasn't given up. He has not signed a peace treaty. He never will. He's going to be destroyed. He's going to be put down. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire. You know, there, there's moments where I just love to say that out loud in case there's any, any agents of hell around me in this moment. I say in the name of Jesus to every demon that might have a strategy and might be trying to encroach upon my life, might even be in my physical proximity. In the name of Jesus, I say to you, there's a place prepared for you. That place is hell. Jesus Christ will cast you and Satan into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And before he does, I say to the demons that every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so not only is the enemy going to be destroyed, but before they're cast into the lake of fire, um, they're going to confess what they hate to think about, that is Jesus Christ is the glorious Lord as appointed by God the Father. And so w w this is part of our warfare, what comes out of our mouth, what we believe, what we come into agreement with. Um, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. These are important verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5. Paul said this. He said, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every falsehood that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Those are, I mean, I could just spend the rest of the podcast today just talking about 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5. Clearly, it tells us we live in the world. We, we're earthlings. We're humans, Okay. But we don't wage war as the world does. In other words, it's not, remember what the prophet Zechariah said in chapter 4, verse 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So our victory is not about drumming up some, some different type of human strength or experience or you know, game plan. No, our, our weapons that we fight with in the spirit are not carnal. They're not worldly. They're not earth-based. They're not grounded in human ability or human limitations. And Paul says, on the contrary, the, the weapons that we fight with have divine power. My goodness, divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, if you'll ever believe that and you'll, you'll press into that and you'll trust God to be true to his word, it'll radically change the type of life that you and I are living. That literally, I have right now in Jesus Christ, I have weapons of warfare that are enabled by divine power 
to the extent that they will demolish the strongholds that the enemy has built up. And so that has a hundred different ways to apply it, but I, I, I don't really want to just unpack it completely. They don't have time. But he, he says what this looks like, these weapons not only demolish the strongholds, but those strongholds are defined as arguments and falsehood that oppose the knowledge of God. So this is about ideas and beliefs and things that we come into agreement with. It's the spirit of the age. It's the lies of the devil. It could be the spirit of religion. It could be the spirit of witchcraft. It could be the spirit of legalism. It could be the spirit of um, licentiousness, as the old King James says. And uh, it could be a, a whole host of different things that come against us. But the Bible says that we demolish these arguments. We demolish these falsehoods that oppose the knowledge of God. And so part of our winning the war is that we know what God has said. We believe the promises of God. We actually um, appropriate the promises of God. And then we give ourselves to the promises of God. So what does that look like? Well, let's just say I'm in a season of battle where, where the enemy's coming against me. And maybe it's coming through circumstances. Maybe it's coming through mental or emotional or spiritual um, onslaught. Let's just say that there's a, a season where you or I, we know we're being kind of pummeled by the enemy and we, we see it appear on the radar through circumstances or how we feel or human opposition, but we, we can sense that the enemy is stirring things up. And remember, he, he doesn't just want to give you a bad day. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So there's always a process that the enemy is working on. He's never satisfied with just, you know, you know, ruining your Tuesday. Um, he, he actually wants to crush us. And so then we have to ask ourselves, well, what are we believing? What are we fixated on? Remember Isaiah 26, three, thou will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. So in, in the midst of warfare, if you focus primarily on the enemy, you're going to lose your sense of peace. But if you will fixate your mind on God and you will remember who he is, what he has said, what is preserved in his word, what you've heard from him in seasons past. When you fixate on God and what God has said, then you are able to come into agreement with what God has said, and you are not as susceptible to believe the onslaught of lies that come from the demonic realm or come from even the devil himself. Um, and these lies are constantly moving in the current of our culture, but you're actually able to demolish those arguments. You're actually able to demolish those falsehoods that oppose the knowledge of God. And part of the process is that you have to take captive every thought and you make it obey Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. So the way that the enemy wages war primarily against the Christian, I mean, he, he's not limited in what he the resources he can do, but when it's not just, you know, him, you know, messing with your finances or messing with your health. The primary way that the enemy works is that he likes to get into your thought life. He starts messing with your head. That is the primary way the enemy works against the people of God. He, I don't know how, don't ask me how I, I know the devil's not omniscient. I know that he's not omnipotent, but I do know that he traffics in lies and those lies somehow have to enter into our thinking in order for them to be effective against us. And so what we're told in second Corinthians 10, five is that we actually master our thoughts and we make our thoughts obey Christ. Now, that's very important because what you give your mind to becomes your master. 
So I'll take you back into maybe late September, early October of 2020. And um, I had battled cancer in 2020 and I was coming, you know, back, you know, strongly after beating cancer. But um, it was also the election season. And so when I'm coming out of the, you know, the chemotherapy and the radiation and I get back online and on social media, I'd been off for a few months. I recognized immediately, oh, my goodness, man, the Christians are pummeling each other. Christians are separating over politics. You got the Trumpites and the Bidenites and they're fighting each other and you got the left and the right and the racial division and the class warfare and the political division. It was insane. And so, you know, I tried to engage with it like I was going to fix that or something, but I tried to engage with it for maybe a few weeks and I realized, oh, the only thing that's happening is my thoughts are no longer anchored in Jesus. My thoughts are being disturbed by all of the cultural and the social problems. And so do you know what I did? I got off social media. That's right. I unfollowed hundreds of people, people that I'm friends with, people that I love, people that, you know, otherwise, besides their foolishness with politics, are good, godly people. And they just, they, they had failed to take their thoughts captive and made them obedient to Jesus. And I'm like, man, I can either read their stuff and get frustrated and start developing a negative opinion of these people, or I can just unfollow them. So I unfollowed them. But the next thing I did is I quit watching the news. You you may think, well, Jeff, that's irresponsible. You need to be up to date with what's going on in the culture. Oh, I can stay up to date. I can read the headlines, but I don't read the, the long stories in the news. I don't watch the evening broadcast. I don't listen to talk radio. I just got out of that stuff. Why? Because more of that heated, nasty thought was getting into my spirit than and because of that, it was making hard for me to fixate on God and experience his perfect peace that he promised me I could have. So my thoughts had to be taken captive. I had to make them obey Jesus. And man, it took just a few days, but I started realizing, oh, I'm clean in my spirit, man. I'm not frustrated. I'm not living with the tension that is, you know, like the spiritual smog in our culture. And so then I just went, you know, militant. I'm like, I'm going to read the word of God. I'm going to read the word of God. And so I just started filling my mind um, proactively with all of the promises of God. I started studying out again, spiritual warfare, because I knew the war was on and I knew that I wasn't immune. Listen, you may, you may say yes to the reality of spiritual warfare, but you need to say the re- yes to the reality of spiritual warfare against you. Don't, don't affirm it as a kingdom reality and then exempt yourself from the reality. Yes, spiritual warfare and the devil and the demonic realm are, are real, and it's real against you, against your family, against your mind, against your heart. And we have to take those thoughts captive because wherever your thoughts go, your life follows. And so we make them obey Christ and the devil is cut off. Um, you know, I'm running out of time today and this probably ought to be a multiple session um, topic in the podcast. But um, let me, I, I'm going to just give you, and you, you guys that know spiritual warfare passages, you know all these verses, but let's just look at them fresh. And I'll just finish with this one. From First Peter chapter five, verses eight and nine, we're commanded. This is a command. That means we are responsible to obey this. And it says this: First Peter five, verse eight, be self-controlled and alert. You, listening right now, you be self-controlled. You remain alert. And then he tells us why: your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some to devour. 
So that's First Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's amazing. That's your Bible. That's not some, you know, fable. That's your Bible. God says, he wrote through Peter, the apostle, 2,000 years ago. Peter write this down and he preserved it in the word because it's always going to be in play. The devil is like a hungry, hungry lion, roaring, intimidating, frightening. Listen, you hear a lion roar and you're out in the middle of the field somewhere, you hear a lion roar, you're going to wet yourself. I mean, that's intense. So he is scary, but he's roaring. And if you're not careful, you'll respond to the roar of the devil rather than the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Isn't it interesting that the enemy is pictured like a lion when in Jesus Christ is also pictured as a lion. And so you've got to figure out what roar you're listening to these days. The Bible says you better be sober and you better be alert, self-controlled and alert because he's prowling around looking to see if he can devour you. And so what are we told to do? That's 1 Peter 5, 9. That's the next verse. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. You resist the devil. You say, well, I don't know how. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You stand in Christ. You stand with Christ. You declare the word of God to the enemy. You declare the word of God over yourself. You, you, you take your thoughts captive. When you start thinking and feeling in a way that is not consistent with the nature and the word of God, if, it's, if you're feeling and thinking in a way that you know is not consistent with who Jesus is and what God has said, then you know your mind has been assaulted by the enemy. So what do you do? You have to preach the truth to yourself. You, you, sometimes you have to speak it out loud. Sometimes you have to preach into the demonic realm. Listen, I don't go around verbally rebuking the devil all day, but I do rebuke the devil just about every day. You know why? Because he overplays his hand. There, there are times where the demonic realm just overplays their hand. That means they just think they're going to get you on an elementary principle. And you recognize, oh, well, there's the devil again. When the devil's telling you to be upset with your family, to, when the devil's telling you to, to gossip about Christians, when the devil is telling you that your job is to be angry against all that's wrong in the church and that you, you're, you, you have the right to be perpetually smug and dissatisfied and critical of the church, that's that's elementary warfare that's demonic realm 101 and you have to say no in the name of jesus i am to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace no in the name of jesus i am to forgive those who have wounded and wronged me just like christ has forgiven me no i am part of the body of christ and therefore i'm connected to all other believers and you just start telling the devil no just say devil these thoughts are inconsistent and if you have an issue with me and you want me to believe your lies, devil, the Lord rebuke you. You just say it. The Lord rebuke you. And then I immediately, when I, when I go into a rebuking of the enemy, I, I immediately attach to that rebuke a prayer that says, God, I have invoked the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and I'm asking you to be merciless against the demonic assault that is coming against me right now multiple times during the week, I would say, God, show no mercy to the demon that is lying to me right now. Show no mercy to the demon that is provoking me right now. Show no mercy, Lord. I resist the devil and I submit myself to you, Father, in the fear of the Lord. 
And I'm going to tell you, um, it doesn't mean the devil never circles back and tries again, but it doesn't mean I win that battle in that moment and I take my thoughts captive. So guys, as I'm winding up here, I just want to, I just really want to exhort and encourage you take ownership of your own thought life. You have the right, you, you're the gatekeeper of your mind. You have to set up a watch concerning what enters your mind. And if you're filling it with your, your mind regularly with stuff that is inconsistent with who Jesus is and what God has said, then you're cooperating with the enemy. You're actually whistling for the lion to come and eat you. I mean, that's the equivalent of what's going on. And so you have to bar the door. You have to shut the gate. You have to say, no, I'm not allowing these foolish thoughts and these sinful influences to occupy my mind. I take ownership of my mind. My mind is the throne room of Jesus Christ in my life. And guys, you begin to enter into that. So I think what I'm going to do, because I'm out of time, I hear the music playing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to circle back to this topic in another episode. But I really, really want you to consider what you've heard today. And and I'm going to pray this as I leave. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, for everybody that is listening right now, Lord, I speak over them a binding of the enemy right now in this moment. Bind the enemy, muzzle the enemy, mute the enemy so that the word of God that's been shared in this episode can penetrate their hearts. And Lord, expose the hand of the devil against the listeners right now. Expose the hand of the devil. And Lord, come mercilessly against every demonic assault that is coming against the listener's life. And I pray, Father, that they would have the courage and the confidence to be able to shut the door on any evil thought life, any influence on their thought life. Lord, give them the wisdom to know where it's coming from and to shut the door. And Lord, let us walk in the victory for the glory of Jesus, the one who lives in us, who is greater than all of the enemy coming against us from the world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, my time's gone. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Go to transformingtruth.org. Check out the resources there. And don't forget, rate and review Mavericks and Misfits. Help us get the word out. I'll circle back with you, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. God bless. Have you gotten a copy of Jeff's book? His autobiography, titled Figuring It Out As I Go, shares Jeff's journey from being abandoned at childhood to journeying through the maze of addiction as a teen and young adult into his supernatural deliverance at the age of 24, and then into the fascinating pilgrimage into the depths of the Holy Spirit. Order your copy today at jefflyle.com or anywhere online where you buy books. You can also hear Jeff narrate the book by ordering an audio copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at audible.com.